So I think by this time, you're, you're probably all have uh, been following along enough to remember that our Lenten theme uh, for the Sundays this year is following uh, Luther's uh, preaching uh, during Lent. Uh, to that end, we've switched to the one-year lectionary that uh, Luther used at that time uh, versus the more modern three-year lectionary. And uh, looking at our gospel lesson uh, today as uh, Luther uh, shared it with his congregation at Wittenberg in 1533, uh, he highlighted how it's such a rich gospel lesson that it's impossible to handle all the content of it and uh, just kind of take the main point of it uh, to highlight Uh, I'd add to that, actually, that that's just a gospel lesson. We've got an Old Testament lesson and an epistle lesson uh, this morning, either of which could occupy us for all of Lent. Uh, There's so much uh, depth there. Uh, The example of uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac in our Old Testament lesson, uh, it's not just a, a test God asking Abraham to do a hard thing. Uh, it's a foreshadowing of this act, God's the Father sacrificing his, his son and the, the ram that was provided uh, for Abraham to spare Isaac, foreshadowing uh, the substitute of Christ for us. Uh, and that's, I think, maybe what, to tie it to the gospel lesson, what Jesus was perhaps referring to in saying that Abraham saw my day, uh, that he saw the... Uh, prophetic uh, representation of uh, Christ's sacrifice that would take place uh, 2,000 years later on from Abraham. We could, like I said, we can go way more in depth than that, but I will restrain myself from doing so, uh, so uh, we can get out today. Uh, The main point of our gospel lesson, uh, Luther uh, focuses on essentially the, the question who belongs to God? Which is a question of incredible importance that, that Luther takes some time to unpack, and uh, we will too. It's kind of an obvious question, and yet it's one that's so important. Uh, we always do well not to overlook it, uh, but to uh, dwell on it even if the answer is familiar, lest we take it for granted or take it lightly. This is the single most important question that can possibly be asked. Uh, Luther emphasized it by saying, you can take, take anything and everything away from me. If I belong to God, I'm okay. Curse me with any and every disaster. Just give me Jesus. Because no matter what is taken away, if I belong to God, it's only a temporary hardship. In contrast, what worse can you do to a person? Or what worse can you say of a person than not of God? When Jesus makes that accusation against the the Pharisees, right here, saying... You are not of God. I mean, what worse position 
could you possibly be in than to have Jesus deny any relationship with you? Because then it doesn't matter what you have. It's only temporary. The time will come when you will lose everything and never regain it. No treasure, uh, no abundance. Life itself would be meaningless. That question, who belongs to God, is utterly vital. So how do we answer? How do we know, do I belong to God? Well, Jesus tells us in our gospel lesson, whoever is of God hears the word of God. It's the word of God that defines us as God's people, God's children, those who belong to him based on his promise. His word of promise is really the only thing that can identify us and give us assurance that we belong to God. How do I know I belong to God? Because God says I do. And I hear and believe his promise to me. And the Pharisees, unfortunately, didn't. That it's actually pretty clear, even within this very text, that they really weren't listening. It's one of those things, maybe they thought they were listening, they would say they were listening, but they were listening in in the same way that you know, you listen when your spouse is talking, you're watching TV. Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah Tuesday, got it. Uh, right? That's the, the way the Pharisees seem to be listening. You can see it right away. And Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's a profound statement. You might want to notice that. But the Jews said to him, Uh, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Did you notice any subtle switch there? Jesus didn't say you'll never taste death. He said you'll never see death. Now, it may seem like an insignificant substitution to uh, replace one sense with another. But that replacement presumes to say the way you phrased it isn't important. I can substitute whatever sense I feel is better description. I'll replace your words with my words and it'll be just as good. It's subtly calling into question really the authority of God's word. And it gets more dramatic later on. When Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews respond, you're not yet 50 years old. And you say you have, have you seen Abraham? Jesus didn't say he saw Abraham. He said, Abraham saw me. It's an important distinction, maybe amounts to somewhat of the same thing. But again, you don't go to a concert and say, hey, uh, the Beatles saw me. Uh, 
they're putting their own spin on. They hear what he's saying, but they're not listening devotedly, dedicatedly. Uh, as you listen to one who speaks with authority. Because they're looking to other authorities. Uh, they've uh, put their confidence and their hope, their assurance in, in other sources of identity, security, and meaning. I always use that ism, identity, security, and meaning, that defines our belief structure. Uh, our ism uh, is what we use to define our sense of identity, security, and meaning. And for the Pharisees, unfortunately, it wasn't Jesus and his word. What were they looking at? Well, one of the chief things was our father Abraham. That defines who we are. We're the children of Abraham. And that guarantees us a place as God's people. That's how we know we belong to God, because we're the children of Abraham. They even say to Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? It's ironic, of course, because Jesus could say, well, funny you should ask, actually. Uh, And it's, I think, interesting that John alone records this, uh, as well as being the only uh, gospel that records this very similar question by the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, who asks, are you greater than our father Jacob? You can see how John's gospel builds the dramatic irony of uh, emphasizing Jesus' ultimate significance. Uh, But here it also just highlights how off the Pharisees were. And consistently, not just here. Or they would boast, we are the children of Abraham and have never been slaves of anyone. Which doesn't even make sense because everyone knows that Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt. Jesus even warned them against it uh, on other occasions, saying, do not begin to say of yourselves, we are Abraham's offspring. Uh, for I tell you, of these stones, God can raise up offspring for Abraham. He was told, don't put your, your confidence in your ethnic or racial identity or your national identity. We're God's chosen nation. Oh, we're... Uh, we're, uh, uh, we're God's people. Of course we're, we belong to God. We're the promised land. At times people even thought that about America as well. Christian nation, promised land, manifest destiny, uh, all that stuff. And, and thinking, hey, you know, of course we belong to God's people. We're the good guys. But it's not our national or, or political or racial or ethnic identity that makes us God's people. And it's not our works either, which of course the Pharisees were almost also famously reliant upon. In the text they're asking, are we not right in saying that you have a demon? It's a kind of strange way of introducing an insult. Uh, but it's also indicative, really, their perspective on anything. You can just fill in the blank on that, and it's kind of the Pharisees' go-to perspective. Are we not right in uh, ostracizing sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Are we not right in uh, 
telling a man that if he uh, calls a gift Corbin, he doesn't have to uh, give it to his parents, that he can set aside the law of God and, uh, to fulfill human traditions. Are we not right in doing this? Are we not right in saying that? Are we not righteous people? And Jesus says, no, you're not. And even if you were, you wouldn't be righteous enough to claim a relationship to God on that basis. That our righteousness, our good works and good deeds and good intentions certainly are not enough to give us a claim to be God's people. Certainly not a, a reliable one that can sustain us in the midst of those dark hours of real honesty when we realize that we really aren't good people. So, what do we hold on to? God's Word. As Jesus tells us, whoever is of God hears God's Word. And holding on to that word gives us the assurance that we are indeed God's people. That we do belong to God. It's not, again, that we, we could claim that as some sort of act of wisdom or goodness on our part to say, I have heard God's word, and I have held on to God's word, and that's why I'm God's child. That's why I belong to God, because I heard his word, not like those other people who didn't hear. Uh, It's not uh, what we do, or even what, how attentively we're listening. The uh, structure of Jesus's statement makes that really clear, actually. He doesn't say, whoever hears the words of God is of God. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God because they are of God. It's God's grace in calling us his children and making us his people that allows us to hear his word. Uh, In the reverse situation, he uh, says to the Pharisees, the reason why you do not hear is that you are not of God. He doesn't say the reason you are not of God is that you chose not to hear. And he says, you can't hear because you're not of God. That it all depends on God's grace, God's work, Uh, to make us his own so that we can hear. It's like a a passport. Uh, You don't uh, have claim to American citizenship because you have a passport. Uh, You have a passport because you're an American citizen. And it's an important document. If you've ever traveled abroad, you know, where do you keep your passport? In the drawer on the table, in the car, whatever. doesn't matter, right? Oh, you, you keep it with you. 
If you're not familiar with traveling, it's like your social security card or your birth certificate or something. This is something you don't lose. You want to uh, even not lose sight of it, uh, perhaps, to make sure that you're, you're holding on to it so that uh, you can define who you are. It's the same way with God's Word. Now, this is who define, what defines who we are. It's our, our passport, you could say, as we travel through this foreign land as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we don't just identify ourselves to others uh, by God's word. The only way we ourselves know who we are and who we belong to is through God's word. That spiritual amnesia can set in faster than you think if we were to lose sight of God's word and not hold on to it. We certainly can't claim uh, our identity based on our works or our heritage any more than you could go to a, a, a foreign country and try and come back into the U.S. without a passport and say, hey, well, you know, I, I speak English, so obviously I'm an American. I do American things. Go Chiefs, right? So you got to let, let me in. How well is that going to work? They say, oh, well, my great-great-great-granddad was Harold Preem, so obviously I belong to the United States. That's not going to work. God's word in the same way, it's the only thing that lets us really know and show that we belong to him because it's only by God's say-so. It's only by God's gracious promise uh, that we have any reason at all to believe that we would have such a high honor as belonging to God, being citizens of the, the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, unfortunately, uh, rebelled against God's word and faced the worst possible consequence. Our reading concludes with some really hard words. You stop and think about it, that as the Pharisees picked up stones to try and stone Jesus, it says, Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And the significance of that, I, I don't think, is just that they weren't able to stone him because they couldn't find him. Uh, but it represents something even much, much more powerful. Because again, what worse fate could happen than from Jesus to hide himself from you? Uh, for God's presence to leave the temple. Jesus is the presence of God on earth, and, and God has left the building here. Jesus hid himself, parted from the temple. In the uh, tradition of the historic uh, one-year lectionary, it was actually uh, part of the, uh, much like we uh, have the stripping of the altar at Maundy Thursday, it was actually immediately following this reading, Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And the crosses in the sanctuary were draped with black cloth and hidden. Uh, to highlight the significance of this 
most powerful and ultimate condemnation of the Pharisees, that God in the person of Christ had turned away from them and completely rejected them. But as the author of Hebrews says, God has better things in store for us. That he has given us his word of promise and allowed us to hear and receive that promise that tells us we belong to him. You are God's child. And that blessed assurance is one we should hold on to. Hold on to uh, like you would a a passport or a birth certificate and a hundred million times more. Uh, to rejoice and cherish in that uh, awesome honor and blessing uh, to be called a a child of God. Luther comes back to uh, this gospel lesson in the the next year uh, to uh, go a little bit deeper into it and highlight what that great blessing is, that besides the honor and glory of being of God uh, is the, the gift of eternal life. When Jesus says here, whoever keeps my word will never see death. And as we, we dig deeper into that, again, I pointed this out in regards to other texts, I believe, but the, the idea of keeping God's word doesn't mean perfect obedience to God's word. That's how you, uh, you know, get on his good side. This isn't a works righteousness thing, that the Greek word to keep uh, here means to hold on to, watch over, cherish as something priceless and special. It's used again in John chapter 12 when Jesus actually says that Mary was uh, keeping that bottle of precious perfume to anoint him for his death, uh, where she poured that perfume on his feet and Judas was complaining, oh, that money could have been sold and the money given to the poor or to me. Uh, that, that's keeping a, of God's word. It's like keeping a, a priceless bottle of perfume uh, to uh, cherish it, hold on to it. And, of course, includes a, a strong desire and intent to obey God's word, put it into use in our lives but it's not dependent on perfect obedience. Likewise, uh, his promise that they will never see death doesn't mean that we won't physically die. Jesus himself physically died, and he was as good an example of keeping God's word as any, I think. Uh, You could uh, possibly argue for a translation that whoever keeps my word will not see death in eternity. Uh, But I think Luther is on an even better track and also faithful to the Greek where he points out that the word to see here means to perceive. And though we as Christians may die, we don't perceive it or see it as death. Uh, That uh, for us, uh, it's not the uh, sound of the grim reaper knocking on our door, but the sound of our beloved Savior welcoming us into his arms. I say, you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. That for us, 
we don't see death. We see our Savior. Uh, because we're holding on to his word. We see that promise uh, that uh, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting are ours, although this uh, body may decay. Once again, we really see uh, in this text what has been a common theme uh, throughout uh, this Lent. Oh, the uh, enemies of Christ portray him as having a demon, being in league with Satan. Uh, Jesus is not from the devil and has nothing to do with the devil other than to destroy him. Uh, Jesus is the devil's worst nightmare and greatest enemy, and he does have the power to destroy the devil uh, and is doing exactly that, to plunder the devil's kingdom and save those who were under the devil's domination, uh, to rescue us uh, from the tyranny of sin, death, and the devil, and give us new life and freedom in his kingdom forever. His word, uh, his promises uh, are given to us so that we can clearly identify uh, as uh, who we are as his children. And that's such a precious and necessary gift that uh, we should, uh, of course, cherish his word, uh, constantly pay attention to it, because it alone can give us a true peace. And peace is beyond all understanding, which will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.